welcome to the Cree Deal Room. I'm your host, Adam Dunn. I'm a managing director at Bercadia, and I help investors buy and sell apartments across the Northeast. On this podcast, I talk with Cree professionals about their careers and deals to help investors, students, and brokers learn more about the commercial real estate industry. So this will be distilled into a condensed, value-added conversation to better understand the background of our expert guests, the state and outlook of their industries, their motivations and goals, and advice for anyone who wants to get into their industry. Doug, thank you so much for joining us today on the CRE Deal Room. I'm thrilled to talk to you. You've been a, a friend, client, a mentor of mine, and I know our listeners are going to be super interested in hearing your story. Thanks for joining us. No, thanks for having me. Why don't we start off, Doug, share with us from the beginning, how'd you get into the commercial real estate business? Where'd you go to, where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? And what led you to get into the principal side before what we're going to talk about during most of the conversation, um, your journey at Blackfin, but just walk us through how you got into the commercial real estate industry. Sure. So, uh, mine's kind of a, a tale of, I guess, uh, entrepreneurial to highly institutional back to entrepreneurial. So. I had the good fortune of playing professional tennis for a little while. And as I was, you know, wrapping up the tour, I wound up, found myself in business school, not knowing at, at Cornell and not knowing where my professional career would take me. And while I was there, I had a unique opportunity to try and buy a couple uh, different tennis clubs that were very well located in Northern New Jersey. Um, saw them as really kind of a, early on as a real estate play that I, with cash flow that I understood because I've spent my whole life around tennis courts and tennis facilities and coaching tennis and being coached. And so you had an opportunity to pursue those ultimately didn't end up going my way for a variety of reasons, which I'm very happy about because I was very green and probably still be running a tennis club and had a, a limited breadth of experience at that point in time. And so uh, from there, I wound up starting my career at Invesco, which was a unbelievable training ground, one of the top five global asset managers, being able to see all asset classes kind of touching everything from office to retail, industrial, multifamily. And worked on some very large uh, kind of uh, prominent office transactions in New York City, and then had an opportunity to go more uh, entrepreneurial and, and was part of the team that helped grow the Graystar platform. And so early days, probably have to do a real look back to know exactly what their unit count was, but under 20,000, you know, we started kind of growing the fund business and uh, had an opportunity to you know grow that. And when I left, it was, I mean, astronomical growth. And I, and 70, 80,000 units under ownership and really a tremendous place to learn and grow and uh, work with really smart people. And so I did that for a while and then, um, you know, decided that I had an opportunity to kind of leverage the experience I got there in acquisitions and asset management and find good partners and start Blackfin. So basically seven years ago, we started Blackfin with the goal of buying apartment communities across the East Coast. And we've been at it ever since and been able to attract some really good talent and ambitious, like-minded folks, and we've been able to keep the lights on here for a little bit. There you go. I've never had a former tennis player on, on the show. Do you still play? I'm focused on trying to get my kids to learn how to play. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so most of my energy is thrown at them, but I play once in a while. Did you ever end up buying a club? I did not. I did not for a variety of reasons, but none of them were necessarily, um, inability to try and execute the business plan. One was um, because the patriarch, the owner of the facility actually passed away and wound up willing it to his family. And the other one kind of became like a, a lifestyle purchase for a very affluent, like well-known. So 
That's very interesting. Fast forward today, the co-founder of Blackfin Real Estate Investors, the co-founder of Ironfish Construction. On the Blackfin side, you've acquired over 15,000 apartments, over $2.5 billion worth of deals. Talk our listeners through what you do currently, who do you serve? Your firm's grown significantly over the last seven years. It's very admirable that you've acquired so much real estate in the last seven years. We'll talk a little bit about your deals later in the conversation, but just walk us through your current role at Blackfin and Ironfish and who you work with and serve today. Sure. So, um, so, you know, I think most people that know who we are will perceive us as a player in the value add you know, workforce housing space. And so, um, you know, what we tend to focus on is the 60s, 70s, 80s product that is in need of fresh vision capital plan. And so, and sometimes rebranding, we've got a great asset management team in house. And so we like to kind of look for opportunities where we can reimagine the amenities, upgrade the units, upgrade clubhouses. And if there's a certain instances, we've had a, a few acquisitions where we might be converting like a student housing programmed asset into a more conventional where oversized units kind of um, become a bit obsolete, just given the market they serve and we can convert those into a better unit mix, or there may be like a physical defect. Like for instance, we bought an asset that had a node siding, um, you know, issue. And so we did a full rescan. So kind of dovetailing into the fact that our general contracting business, uh, Ironfish, which now services our owned assets, but uh, we have a dedicated team that services over a hundred clients. It's licensed in over 20, in 22 states now at this wow. point, serving a lot of the major institutional owners and public REITs. And so it's been a, a great business for us, um, but one that really gives us like great expect, expertise on the ground. We're not doing any ground up. We're just doing renovations, rehabs, deferred maintenance projects, and it gives us a little bit of better access to Subcontractor labor, when we enter a market, gives us the ability to have working knowledge is knowledge of assets, just because the teams that we have now assembled working for us have a depth of experience that, you know, from their current lives and their past lives working for various clients. So we tend to know the markets and, and the assets a little bit better than if we just parachuted in and had no experience in, in the submarket. So that's been, you know, a, ni a nice thing that was, you know, not part of the original business plan, but we were able to, fortunate to find a, uh, a third partner for, um, for Iron Fish, who's a, you know, I call him the Tom Brady of multifamily rehabs because, you know, he's that good and you know, he walks on a property and, you know, really gives you great comfort that, you, uh, you know, what may have issues and what may not and what to make a big deal out of. And uh, I think it makes us a better buyer, right? Because we go in eyes wide open and we're transparent. So sometimes it helps us because we're transparent and sometimes it hurts us, right? Because they'd rather pretend you as a seller, you know, that there's not an issue. <laughs> um, or that the number might be lower than it is. So, uh, but it's, it's kind of worked out in the aggregate for us. Yeah. Yeah. Very complimentary business lines that differentiates you as a sponsor relative to your competitive set. What have you learned along the way, building the apartment and construction business, or I guess the renovation business and acquiring over 15,000 apartments when you started seven years ago, what lessons or have you learned since then? And would you do anything different today if you were to start in 2023? I feel very fortunate, you know, that we've been able to get to where we are today, right? I mean, I think when we started, there were a lot of folks that would say, hey, this is top of the market. Why are you doing this now? And turned out this is, we're now seven years later, right? And we had a long run to the top of the market, which wasn't necessarily doing it because I felt like my time and I think my partner's time, you know, to get out and chase this vision and figure you know, the timing would work itself out at some point. Um, I think the 
the big takeaway is that first deal, right, is tough, right? And yep. so I think there's a, a great, like anything, right? You get momentum, you can be successful, but trying to get the momentum is not that easy. Certainly a sense of euphoria when you walk out, you know, and you know, get your own business card. And then there's the reality that's less euphoric, but we were able after, you know, chipping away at it for a good while, find, you know, um, ready, willing, and able seller of a deal that had some scale that was 200 units, right time, right place kind of thing. And that allowed us to gain a little bit of a track record and a little bit of credibility. No one wants to be your first equity partner, right? So, yeah. um, so then, you know, subsequently we've got better dialogues and, you know, more people that can not feel like they're taking a huge chance on a new group. They can lean into the chances that a few bold partners <laughs> took, sure. took on us early on and we're eternally thankful for. Sure. We'll expand on your first acquisition later in the discussion. Um, you hit on something that I wanted to, to talk about, landing your first deal and building your track record. You've raised money from high net worth individuals and family offices, syndicating deals up to partnering with institutions. And we'll get to one of those deals, um, you know, the, the billion dollar transaction you did last year with Clarion. Talk us a little bit about you know, landing your first deal, convincing the equity to take a bet on, on you and, and your partners, right? And where you sit today, how's the dynamic with equity changed over the last seven years when you first started to land your first deal to structuring deals today? What's different? Well, a lot's different, right? I mean, I think you've got, um, industry capital markets dynamics that have shifted tremendously. And I think we're a different organization, right? I mean, we've got over 70 people working here today. We've got expertise across finance and asset management and capital projects, right? That when it was just me and, and my partner, Andy Buchanan, me, Andy, two dogs in the office and the expertise that we had on our own respective resumes. And I think being able to like draw from all of that, have a track record, again, to my point of like having closed transactions and having like an institutional process and, and program here allows capital to lean into uh, investing with us. Right. And then I think there's just currently, right. Given the, where the finance markets are and just the volatility that we're all experiencing every day, I think just equity sources change, right? Like, you know, I think our hope is to continue to grow our, our list of existing partners where we've got negotiated JV documents with, and that we can continue to go out and buy a deal or two or more a year across a geography that continues to expand for us. Um, sure. but some of the groups that we've had dialogues with or transacted with are less active today, right? More, more scrutiny on the opportunities and waiting for a little bit of like a calming and consistency of the market. Whereas some of the private capital, I think is taken a, I'd rather be early to this price adjustment than too late. And, you know, I'm going to kind of invest across the ups and downs. And so we're identifying new capital sources and, you know, some of it happens to be a little less uh, institutional, but still highly credible, just structured differently. Continuing that you mentioned the, the volatility in the market presents its challenges. You've, you've got a, sounds like a 70 person payroll that may, might keep you up at night and the volatility. How do you keep your, your team focused? It sounds like, you know, from across the country deal flows down 70% plus or minus you guys are focused on a number of markets across, um, Southeast and East coast. We were talking prior to recording this, you've, you've got eight to 10 deals in, in the pipeline that, that you're working on. How do you keep your team focused? You've got a, a big payroll. How do you keep your team focused and eye on, eye on the ball, if you will? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, to your point, we do have, we've closed uh, three deals to date. We've got another seven kind of in the queue here to hopefully close. And then by the end of the year, or, you know, kind of first little bit into, you know, 2024. And so, but that hasn't come, you know, with ease, right? I mean, I think our mentality is we're going to outwork on the, on the acquisition side. We're going to outwork everybody and put as many offers out and, you know, kind of find our way through the market. And, and if we do that, right, and rather than just kind of sit around and go, oh, you know, it's a little hard and not much is getting done. I mean, for instance, we offered 110 deals in the first six months of the year, only 10 of which had closed, right? Two of them being deals that, you know, we had closed, right? And they're in that three of them, probably, you know, not to say all of those are not going to close, right? But you, your stats are, you know, pretty accurate, right? I mean, it, the closing ratio is way off and the opportunities are way off, but we continue to see things like kind of come back our way. We've been good buyers, yeah. you know, we kind of do what we say we're going to do. And if we put the number out and it doesn't work, but at the first go around, but we're getting the call back on the second go around or, or sometimes third now, yeah. um, in certain instances. So we're continuing to just kind of, you know, play hungry, right. Cause you have to, um, yeah. and I think we got the right team for that. The, the team or our acquisition team just kind of, that's just the way they're wound. Right. And so. We're continuing to just kind of compete and see if we can beat the odds. They're always kind of playing as the underdog I mean, yeah. since we started, right? So, yeah. you know, why not, you know, keep doing it is a little bit of the mentality. So that's just a big part of the culture. And then we have a lot of people, right? But we've got a lot of assets to manage and that's not going away, right? We've capitalized yeah. them well and with good partners and um, with, you know, a longer term mindset, you know, let's say we wouldn't sell things shorter term, but it doesn't seem like that's the today's the day, right? Yeah. Given the volatility. So, um, so we're just weather the, weather the storm here in the interim. Um, and, uh, being in the construction business, we are you know, not doing ground up these assets just have needs, right? Probably maybe see less new, fresh capital budgets with renovation plans, but we're still seeing lots of storm damage, water infiltration, or, in, you know, like, um, yeah, it's just useful life stuff. Um, and, uh, in some cases I think folks are renovating, right. Cause they're doing less development. So it's keeping us busy. There's no sure. shortage of work out there. Sure. Expanding on the construction business, you co-founded that business. You've got a great partner with forest. Um, talk to us about how you've scaled that business to 20 plus states in a very fragmented industry historical. What's that been like and what lessons have, have, have you taken away? That's a great one. I mean, I think, you know, all of this becomes like a people business, right? At the end of the day and leadership game, I think, you know, we're focused on trying to raise the bar, you know, an industry that's, you know, has been, I think a little less sophisticated in, you know, how they report and how they um, kind of manage the back office. Right. Sure. And so that's been a big focal point, you know, of ours, which comes with its challenges, right? Because the teams we're trying to hire are not used to it. Right. And yeah. some like the challenge of learning new systems and becoming more structured in how they do things and, and others don't. Right. So trying to find good cultural fit from team standpoint that wants, wants that work environment. And then, you know, just being able to execute consistently. Right. I mean, across various markets for various clients, right. Cause if you service someone in Boston, you want to be able to provide that same service in yep. North Carolina and, sure. you know, and that, that consistency is what we're striving for. And, you know, we're good at it some days and getting better at it other days. Yeah. And going off of that with, you know, two separate businesses with your investment management business and the construction management business, 
market capital markets volatility aside, what have you seen change over the last seven years in in those businesses, and what do you predict is going to occur in the future as you look out in the next three to five years? Capital markets aside, what observations do you have of how they change? What, what you've seen from when you you know when you started, and what's what's shift from when you started to today? Capital markets aside, and what do you predict? What is your what does that business, the investment management business, and your construction business look like in the future? I mean, I think, you know, if you're speaking specifically about ours, right, my hope on the investment management side, right, is that we're able to continue to grow our kind of acquisition teams and focus on a more national basis, right? So earlier this year, we added team, we had a pretty lean deal team previously. And so mm -hmm. we added team to go cover Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, Alabama, Kentucky, all the kind of tertiary markets in between kind of yep. you know, short of Texas. Um, and we feel like now we've got the scale on the asset management side, we've got the construction expertise that we've been able to expand and sometimes like actually outgrow the investment management from a geography standpoint, yep. um, you know, uh, platform. And so it was really, you know, getting that business, you know, up and running. We own some assets in those markets, but via portfolio growth and acquisition. And so really covering them and becoming, having the same kind of execution, you know, hit ratio um, sure. as we do elsewhere. And then ultimately continue to move it across the Sun Belt and out west to Texas, Arizona, far north, Pacific Northwest, right, is the is the goal. And so hopefully over time, you know, we'll be able to get there. We're going to do it smart. There's no need to, there's plenty of geography to cover with what we've got. But I think yep. with the right team and finding the right people, we're excited to do that. Like we built the infrastructure for it now. Sure. And have you found with your construction management business on the renovation side, does that help feed you potential business on the investment management side? No, not really. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I mean, the, the, everybody kind of asks that question and, you know, you've yet to be like, oh, you know, hey, you know, you, you know, you guys do like GC work, got a deal for you. It just doesn't seem to, <laughs> doesn't seem yeah. to happen like that. Let's talk about you personally. We talked about tennis uh what motivates you um personally and i know you do a lot of fishing you've got a family what motivates you to kind of out hustle and outwork at blackfin you know what <laughs> goals do you have for the personal side business side talk to us a little bit about doug root personally no i just like to compete right and so for me you know this i kind of i think when you try and figure out your professional career, right? And you know, like I kind of went back to like the Cornell days, right? I, I had no idea what I wanted to do getting out of business school. And then even my start in real estate kind of glued behind a couple monitors, cranking out models and you're like, this is okay, right? And then I finally got a taste of like, you know, being the one out sourcing the deal and trying to figure it out and trying to put the deal together and the kind of highs and lows of that. And to me, it's, no different than playing sports and minus the, the physical activity, right? And so just being able to like leverage, you know, kind of all the tools and tools you're gaining and relationships, like that's what excites me. It's not, yeah. it's not economic, right? It's just, okay, how do we go out and grow? How do we go out and find the next deal? How do we create opportunities, you know, for the team? Kelly, this is like a extended family, right? And yet mm -hmm. guys are out here hustling and trying to build careers and like, how do we, you know, give them opportunities to like, get to the next level. And that's completely, you know, what excites me about it. It's like, yep. okay, we, we did two deals. Well, how do we do three? Right. How do we do four? Yeah. And it's at some point you gotta, you know, you know, balance it. Right. And then just focus it on my kids. Honestly. I mean, they're the you know, reason you do all this stuff at the end of the day and showing them that like, you gotta go out there and hustle. Right. Yeah. Um, go out there and work so hard. 
I do not need three boys in my house yeah. you know, that don't want to hustle, as you know. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. What differentiates Blackfin and Ironfish as a company compared to compared to your competitors? What's your secret sauce or what do you do differently that um, you know is the, the reason you're, you've been so successful the last seven years? Yeah, I mean, I think where we sit, right, you know, we don't have a, we've never, we haven't gone out and raised a big, you know, fully discretionary fund, right? So yep. deal by deal, we're out looking for equity. And I think there, there are certainly a lot of groups that we compete with that are out doing that. I think we've brought a higher level of expertise, reporting, like institutionally trained, um, yep. you know, team to that space and structure. And so um, I think when you couple that with our ability to execute on the asset management side, uh, we've got a you know, phenomenal team that has you know, done it for big institutions, serviced large institutions, right? And then taking that, layering on best in class um, debt execution, right? Um, and being able to like navigate that effectively. And then as like the icing on the cake, the having mm -hmm. the in-house GC, that really, you know, can do things at a, you know, a slightly lower cost structure, right? Just because of how sure. we're set up, because uh, we're going direct to the subs and we have all the subs uh, captured. I think it's a real differentiator. And we started, do we have like, you know, all those things, you know, no, but we've quickly assembled them, you know, through the right relationships and good fortune. Uh, but I do think now we have something that's different, right? Certainly compared to the way, you know, some of the shops that we compete with are, you know, set up, we tend to be maybe a little more conservative and not win every deal, but sure. you know, got to, got to pick your spots and, 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 you know, can only, you know, do so many. Yeah. Yep. Many of the listeners of this podcast are either brokers or, or investors. You mm -hmm. mentioned some geographies that you're seeking to invest to date. You've acquired from Boston to Florida. Um, and mostly in the, in the Southeast, you mentioned, you just hired some acquisition folks to focus on Tennessee and Kentucky. What other markets should people send your team deals and what other markets are you guys seeking to enter geographies that would be helpful to see deal flow? Yeah. I mean, I think the near term where we can be effective, right? It's everything kind of Georgia, Nashville, like east right we're kind of east coast centric you know we've obviously you've sold an asset for us in in massachusetts right and so so we're basically boston south and we'll go a little west and, and we're opportunistic in nature right so there's got to be a little bit of storyline in the sure. tertiary market but we've you know for the right deal if it makes sense and there's a good story we've invested in and been successful in markets like roanoke which you know is not on everybody's like top five msas right so we'll we'll be you know, kind of entrepreneurial in some of the markets we'll go to, but we'll also invest in the high barrier entry markets as well, right? Because we're raising yeah. capital that will go into all of them, right? So, you know, kind of helps us be, you know, more nimble than some sure. groups. Fun fact, I used to live in Roanoke. Actually, I was born in Roanoke. I think I, I, I told I you that. that. So yeah. <laughs> um, I, know exact, I know exactly where that is. Close to wrapping this up, my favorite part or segment of this is is asking about your first deals. And I, you know, many of the listeners I said were brokers and investors, many are first time investors and they, they wanna you know, hear from people like you on who have acquired the, uh, you know, their first deal and, and nuances there. Uh, do you mind, tell us a little bit about your first deal and. Kind of the hurdles to get that across the finish line. 
Well, I mean, you know, first deal we bought, you know, happened to be 200 units, you know, in Baltimore County, right? And, uh, or just outside of Baltimore. And, uh, you know, it's kind of right time, right place. I mean, it helps to have a good network. New broker to the industry was fortunate enough to get like a real sizable listing, right? I would call, you know, 200 units if you're new to brokerage, like a phenomenal listing, right? Especially when you're at, at a reputable but smaller shop, right? And happened to call a friend of mine who's a developer, right? Who had no interest in buying an existing asset, right? And so he said, hey, you know, why don't you call up my friend, Doug? He's started a company called Blackfin. They may be interested. And given the fact that we were two guys, two dogs, and no assets under management, you know, we were able to like literally like get the call, run out the office, tour it, and then, you know, through good fortune and, and also good relationships, um, we had somebody, you know, introduce us to a capital source that was willing to take a chance on us, right, as a new shop. But I don't think they really saw it that way. They were like, oh, okay, like you guys have done this before, like, which is the way we would hope everybody, you know, saw the new group. And I, I think most of the reception has been like that, but I think there's still like some trepidation, like, well, let these guys like go buy two or three deals and then we can be their partner. Right. And so they took a chance on us. They've been great partners of ours and uh, we'll continue to do deals with them. And so, but like, it was like a culmination of like good luck. Right. And, you know, also a seller who was okay selling to a new shop, right. Didn't focus heavily on do I've got to get a, you know, blue chip name on my, uh, on my bid sheet and a quieting quieter marketing process. So we kind of lucked out on all this. On, you know, it's like the stars have to kind of come to come together. It'd make me nervous to try and do it again and try, yeah. and try and get all of them to come together on the same day. Yeah. What was the total deal size? Uh, it was 200 units at the time. It was probably like a 25, 26 million dollar deal. You know, all in you know capital budget. Do you still own the deal, or do you sell it? No, we actually sold it um, about a year and a half ago, but we owned it for good. Okay. So your, your first deal, um, just, just North of $20 million last year, despite the volatility, you were able to structure the big, probably the biggest deal with Blackfin was close to a billion dollar portfolio with Clarion. Talk to the listeners a little bit about your pursuit and acquisition of that portfolio and how that's shifted and shifted your firm today. Yeah, no, I mean, that was absolutely like massive for us. Right. I mean, I think when I, left uh gray star high, high volume shop you know doing massive portfolios I was like well i'll never uh never be working on one of those again right and then um you know we, we got a call we had a good track record with our partners at clarion and uh, we called said you know that they'd been you know very research market focused and market driven and uh they yeah it's a, a portfolio that marries up with a lot of what our research is telling us is high growth markets, good fundamentals, and we want to pursue it. Would you guys be interested? And then, you know, do you feel like you've got the right construction expertise for these markets? And, you know, fortunately for us, we, a lot of our team had worked on these assets in different times. And so probably out of the, you know, 12 assets that we acquired, I think the team had touched 11 of the 12 at some point in their, you know, career histories. Right. And so, um, and so it gave us like some additional credibility again, stars kind of aligning. Right. And then good relationships across, you know, seller, you know, sales team, right time, right place, right partner, Clarion being a, you know, great, great partner, highly credible and, and, uh, you know, really just marrying up good skill sets, you know, they've got, uh, you know, a great team, you know, great asset management team and, and, you know, massive, um, open-ended core fund that, you know, perfect, perfect long-term, 
you hold for them, right? So, yep. um, so we're, we're excited to be a part of it and you know, just out there chipping away at it every day, executing the business plan. That's great. An incredible yeah. growth story from your first acquisition of $20 million to a billion dollar portfolio within six years. Um, appreciate you sharing those. Last question that I have for you, Doug, and this is one of my favorite questions. What have I not asked you that you would ask yourself if you were in my seat interviewing you? <laughs> uh, the one, the one I always, uh, that people ask, right. Um, often is like, would you do it again? And, uh, I mean, I don't know if I have a super positive answer for it. I mean, I must've been a great, great outcome, you know, to date, knock on wood. I mean, we're going to you know keep pushing as hard as we can and continue to try and grow. Uh, but you know, all those, you know, factors, you're like, wow, a lot really, you know, had to go right to to get out the gates the way we did and to be able to build that momentum and like, you know, just even, you know, team like our, our partner and chief operating officer, Leslie first, who kind of oversees, you know, all of our asset management and debt execution. I mean, she's a huge part of our success story. Everybody is honestly, but you got to like find those people and then convince them to come over and you could have that conversation. They're like, eh, I'm gonna stay where I'm going to be. Cause uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's just not the right time in their life to make the move. Right. And sure. so. Each step of the way, you mentioned Forrest Dalton, who runs our construction company, same thing. Like, you know, at one point Forrest was like, I don't know about this. You know, I got five kids and, you know, <laughs> I don't really want to be an entrepreneur right now. And, you know, he eventually decided to, you know, that he wanted to jump on board and, you know, and help us grow. Um, and so just kind of worked out, right? Um, but you could have got, we could have got a lot of no's along the way. and still be, you know, two guys and two dogs in the office, you know, trying to, trying to fight a lot of fires, but we've, we've yeah. got good people helping. Okay. Well, you, you certainly don't lack hustle. Um, you've built one of the largest investment management companies and, and renovation companies on the East coast and, and expanding across the U S it's been fun to watch your success. And I remember us taking a bike ride from Cisco Brewery in, in Nantucket, talking about this as you were transitioning from Graystar to Blackfin. And um, at, the, at that time, you were just chasing your first deal to today, you know, two and a half billion dollars later in seven years. It's very remarkable. So I, I applaud you and your partners for that. You guys have a lot of hustle and you've surrounded yourself with like-minded entrepreneurial type people to, you know, compound your success. So appreciate you taking the time today to talk with me here and our, and our listeners and wish you guys all the best ahead on the deals you have in your pipeline. Thanks for having me. It's great. So yeah, you got it. Thanks, Doug. Right. Talk soon. Thank you for tuning in to the Creed Deal Room with me, your host, Adam Dunn. If you're interested in being a guest on this podcast or you have a suggestion of whom I should interview and you're in the commercial real estate industry, hit me up. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you next time in the Creed Deal Room. Thank you.